Hello, welcome to another New Criterion podcast. It's Thursday, September 17th. I'm Eric Simpson, the assistant editor of the New Criterion, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Jay Nordlinger, music critic for the New Criterion and senior editor at National Review. Jay, thanks for sitting down with me. A great pleasure, Eric. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. So, this, this, is, this is an historic day for me, Eric, man, just because I've done many, many, many podcasts in my life, never physically present with another person. Doing really? It. I've always done it by Skype or, or phone, and so it's really like, like, a, like a genuine visit. Great. So I appreciate it. Well, I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, so, the, the Metropolitan Opera opens its season Monday. Ah. And I think that, that really marks the beginning of the cultural season in New York, at least the cultural musical season. Mm. It's, the, it's the first of, if we can call it that, the big three to open. And they're opening with a new production of Otello, directed by Bartlett Scher, mm-hmm. um, and with a with a very impressive cast. Yes, Thoughts? indeed. He, he, he's he's a a Broadway person, really. This director, isn't he? Well, historically, though, he's he's definitely made his uh, made his mark by now in the opera world. I mean, he's become a regular at the Met, maybe even a house favorite. You know, when his uh, that's quite true. When his Barbara Seville premiered. I was quite uh, negative about it, mm. almost hostile to it. Uh, but after that, it was amended in various ways. Uh, staging after staging, it was amended. And I've seen that production many times, by which I mean, let's say, seven. Mm. And I like it a lot. It's one of my favorite productions. And uh, I'm sure I could, if I did a little Googling, I could think of other productions of his that I've enjoyed. But... um Otello is no comedy. No. So, uh, did he? But did he give us the Las Vegas Rigoletto? I can't no, remember. that was Michael else. Mayer. Oh, okay. And we'll get that again this season. Oh, but right. uh, it's not quite Rigoletto. It's an interesting show, but it's not Rigoletto. Right. And uh, if you've never seen the opera and you see that production, you still haven't seen the opera. <laughs> I think that might be true. Cher gave us um, off the top of my head. He did. He did. Um, the production of Two Boys, the uh, oh the, yes, the Met premiere a couple of years ago by Nico Muley. Very that was no comedy either. Very intelligent production, mm-hmm. extremely intelligent, intelligent production. Yes. Yeah. So, so we won't quite get the charm of uh, Il Barbiere no. uh, on Monday night, but I, I'm I'm hopeful. Um, obviously, one of the uh, you wrote a little bit about this for us. The one of the considerations that people are looking at is the history of blackface in Otello and. Mm. Um, how the Met has said, well, we feel it's it's time to be done with that. Mm-hmm. It's not really proper in the in the 21st century. Um, obviously, a, uh, a a tricky issue. You and I emailed about this a little bit, and uh, and I I thought, you know, it it does blackface is is something that for me is is hard to hard to to wrap my head around and really hard to see firsthand. But then again, in high school, I was Richard the Third, and I Put a little uh, padding under my left shoulder and theatrical verisimilitude, I guess. You know, we're, we're scarred as Americans because of our racial past. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to think any other way. Uh, does it matter that Othello or Othello is a Moor? Probably does. I think Shakespeare thought it did. Probably Verdi thought it did. Uh, does it matter that Rigoletto is a hunchback? I think it does because... His physical deformity is a big part of his character and explains what he does in the opera. 
And so I've seen Rigolettos with no physical deformity whatsoever, and that's okay. But I think you should at least hint at one, otherwise the story doesn't make as much sense. Should Falstaff be fat? I think so. Hmm. Uh, Etc. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that the tenor in Otello has to wear dark makeup. And uh, I understand the concerns. And I really don't have much of a dog in this fight. But I know I dislike political correctness. And also I think it ma- I, I think the racial background of Otello Othello matters. Yes. Then again, if you get too insistent on realism and opera, you're cooked. <laughs> Absolutely cooked. I think, you know, think of all the you know, fat mimis and violettas who are dying of consumption. Eh, just use your imagination. Yeah. Well, and even if you go back and look at some of the old production photos and past productions of Otello, you end up with the great John Vickers looking really more like a werewolf than anything else. <laughs> and the Mets got a great costume and wig department. You know, that's yeah. they're not they're not putting amateurs out there. Yeah. Um, now turning turning to the cast, I think one of the people I'm well, there are two people here I'm really excited about. One is Sonia Yoncheva, who has really exploded. Uh, onto the onto the scene after a big debut last season, she sang her first uh, Violetta, filling in for uh, I think it might have been I can't remember off the top of my head. It was a very uh, it, was, it was a last minute uh, substitution, and she she really nailed it. Um, and another person here that really stands out to me, of course, I have a hometown bias here, uh, Yannick Neze Segan, who will be leading. All, at least all of the fall performances. You're for French Canada? I never knew that. No, not quite. Although I do have a, uh, a francophone connection. We're, we're all... Uh, Simpsons, oddly enough, are French. But, no, I'm from Philadelphia. And, uh, and I'd love to see what, uh, what Yannick has done really turning that orchestra back, I think, into a, into a major force in American music. And the performances that he's led at the Met so far, at least in terms of his his handling of the music, have been some of the most electric that I have heard in the past couple of years. Good. <laughs> I know that you and I uh, you and I don't always see eye to eye on him, but he's a very talented guy, and I've heard him conduct several excellent performances, mm. and mediocre ones and bad ones, and so that's musical life. Yeah, yeah, and he'll only grow, I'm sure. Seasoning and conducting helps. Yes, he's a very talented fellow. So what's what's next for you? Do you is there any anything you can pick out? Oh, you want to talk Met a bit? I have a little list here, like Santa Claus. Sure. Well, let's let's <clears throat> what's what's next at the Met that you're excited about? I'm not sure I have the right order, Eric. But I do fine. have some notes here, and if I'm out of order, forgive me. They need to be here's, chronological. <clears throat> here's what I jotted down. Uh, there is a, a Trovatore, yes, at the Met with Anna Trebko uh, and Dolores Zajic, and to, to start with the latter. Uh, Zajic is the Aducena of our time, really. She is a great Verdi mezzo, and that is one of her best roles. And the Trebko is a kind of genius, as I say, a performing genius. I've said over and over, I don't know what she'd score on the SAT. (laughs) I really don't. I don't know if the woman's literate. I don't know if she's ever read a book. I don't know if she can figure out a grocery bill, and I don't care. Her musical and theatrical IQ is off the charts. It cannot be taught. It cannot be acquired. She just has it. Mm. I also, you know, uh, James Levine is conducting a, 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 a Townhäuser. 
Uh, he's a great Wagner conductor. He's a great everything conductor. Anytime you have a chance to hear Levine conduct Wagner, do. Yes. And his Elizabeth, I see here in my notes, says uh, Eva Maria Westbrook, the uh, Dutch soprano, and a, a wonderful singer and an even better opera performer, I would say. And it's a strong cast overall. Uh, the other two I'd mentioned, and we're going, um, I've only done until Christmas. Yes. I, I consider it the first semester of the As music of season. Of, Levine loves Berg, Alban Berg, and he's conducting a Lulu at the Met with Marlis Peterson, Susan Graham, and others. Mm-hmm. And one should never miss a chance to hear Levine uh, conduct uh, Berg. And I think Marlis Peterson will be outstanding. And last but not least, I have a, a, a bel canto vehicle, bel canto vehicle for uh, Joyce Di Donato, oh, sure. uh, Lady of the Lake of Rossini, La Donna del Lago, which is, I think, toward the end of the first half of this season. I think that's right. And if people haven't heard Joyce Di Donato sing bel canto opera or sing this role, she must be one of the best ever to do it since the opera was written. Uh, mm. Rossini, I think, would go out of his skin to hear this girl, this woman from Kansas. She was absolutely magnificent in that role. I will say, I was I was really disappointed by that staging. I thought, uh, mm. I always have trouble with projections in opera. Not not because I'm against the, the idea of technological advances in the theater, absolutely not. But whenever I see a, a, a projection on the operatic stage, I always think, this is a shortcut. You're trying to express something as a director that you realize you can't quite you can't quite get it with the actors so you're just going to cut the actors out of it and the scenery and the live element and just throw up a what in this case to me seems pretty close to a screensaver mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was unfortunate but for the performance of Di Donato alone it was absolutely worth it well <clears throat> Eric you're a much better critic than I am oh please because for me <laughs> If the, if the production of an opera doesn't suck, it's gravy. Just gravy. Mm. And you actually think that an evening at the opera should be an overall experience, musical and theatrical. You are very, very good. I commend <laughs> you, Eric. I, I commend you. That's exactly the way to think about it. Well, I feel if I, if I haven't been totally dragged down the street emotionally by the end of the evening, I haven't gotten my, uh, my money's worth out of it. That's a very so. good standard. Um, and one one I find is often hard to meet, but won't uh, won't try to relinquish it just yet. Going back to Lulu, um, actually one of the reasons that I'm very excited about that as well is that it's and I'm going to totally backtrack on something I just said. But mm. William Kentridge is directing it, and he is somebody who does use projections very heavily in his pieces, but he does them in a more conscious way where he's. He's creating sort of a, a moving art form with them, which I really appreciate. Yeah, he is Joe Projection. He's Mr. Projection. He is. He's, well, he's Mr. He's Mr. Um, art Animation. Yeah, he's the South African fellow. Yes, right? that's yeah. right, I believe. Very talented. He did Shostakovich's nose at the Met. He did, and I mm. thought he did a bang-up job of it. Yeah, yeah. The, the production looked exactly like the score sounds. Mm. So if, uh, are you ready to step away from the Met for a minute? Absolutely. So one of the things that... A lot of a lot of people have been asking me what is the one thing this fall that you really can't miss. Um, I guess here it's three things, and obviously everything that we're discussing here is is on the short list. But really, the thing that stands out for me from the fall is 
it's going to be at Alice Tully Hall. Mark Padmore and Paul Lewis are uh, going to be performing together Schubert's Great Song Cycles over three evenings. So we have Die Schöne Müllerin, we have Schwanengesang, paired paired with Beethoven, I think. Mm. Um, and then... To a distant beloved, probably. I think it is. And then, of course, Winterweisel, finishing mm. off the trio. These, especially Die Schöne Müllerin and Winterweisel, these are two pieces that I, I really think any time they're being performed within X radius of me, I need to go hear them. Because they are, they are so powerful, and they give me exactly that sort of thing I was just talking about a minute ago, where I, I really feel that I've experienced some sort of emotional overload from sitting in the concert hall and, and going through this musical experience with the performers. And I think these two are going to do quite a, a great job. Paul Lewis is someone who... Um, well, I've only recently discovered that not everybody in the world loves him as much as I do, but I think mm -hmm. he's he's a marvelous, marvelous performer. I've heard him do some really wonderful Beethoven, wonderful Mozart, and I, I suspect he'll, he's a, a really great leader accompanist as well. And Mark Padmore, um, it's, it's funny, two of the leading leader singers of our time right now are, are both English tenors. Well, you're including Bostrich then. I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I think very, I think very highly of him. I have to, uh, you know, often, Eric, to know what I think of someone, I have to Google my name and his or mm. hers, and read what <laughs> I've remember. written. I can't remember, <laughs> frankly, but they are certainly immortal works. Those three you named. Mm. And uh, Bostridge actually, incidentally, just has a uh, in the past year published a wonderful book. On he is a brainy, brainy guy. Yeah, we should all be so, uh, yeah, so educated. It's uh, he's a real proper English intellectual mm -hmm. with a with a PhD in history. And it, it's funny to actually to see to go to his about the author page and see um, other books by the author. Witchcraft, the right? Book. Witchcraft yeah. in yeah. the 16th century. Yeah, uh, he's he's got a, a yeah. wide array of interests, and I don't think he shorts any of them. Yeah. So. Brainy, talented guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, uh, look, I, I, I don't have a, a fall highlight. Um, as Bill Buckley would say, that question's like Peking Duck requires 24 hours notice. <laughs> but I am going to look at my notes. I singled out some concerts at Carnegie Hall. Great. I, I did this by hall, or I did my notes by a, a venue or, or a hall, or presenter. Uh, Carnegie Hall, opening night, uh, Evgeny Kissin is playing the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, by which I mean number one, of course. <laughs> I was going to guess. And um, how bad can that be? It will be strong, it will be accurate, it will be very masculine. It's with the New York Philharmonic, is mm -hmm. that right? Uh, will the gossamer parts be gossamer? Maybe not. But there'll be a lot to like. Mm. I'll keep going, and you just you chime in any time. Absolutely. Contradict me, corroborate <laughs> me. Rebuke me, whatever you want. Uh, I'm sure I'll have no grounds. Uh, and then there is a concert performance by the Boston Symphony of Strauss's Electra, starring Christine Gurka. Hmm. Gurky, she says. Um, it's a great work. It works very well in concert, by the way. And uh, I expect it will be very good that she's, night. 
She is one that I, I definitely have my eye on as well. She gave that wonderful performance as the Dyer's wife in mm -hmm. uh, Die Frau in a Schatten mm -hmm. at the Met a, a season or two ago. Mm -hmm. And she'll be making her first appearance at the Met actually uh, opening week. She'll be in Turandot, title role. She's a comeback story. You know, she was a very big deal here in New York many years ago. And I think she suffered some vocal distress, as we say, for a few years. Right. And has come back gangbusters. And it's just, she has one of those rare voices that are huge and creamy and beautiful, like Voight in her prime. Mm. Uh, October 23rd, we have Lang Lang. Now, from Lang Lang, you never know what you'll get. You could get bad, you could get indifferent, and you could get immortally good. You never know. Mm. And it's sort of exciting to show up and see what you get. And he's playing, I hate the completeness craze. As I've written about <laughs> my whole life. But the completeness craze, I guess, is not just a craze. It's sort of permanent rather than a craze. And he's playing all, I think he's playing all four characters of Chopin. There's no reason to. Chopin wouldn't have wanted you to. But music administrators like it. And music critics like it because they think it's academic and musicologically correct. Mm. It is absolute garbage. It's, it's not just incorrect, it, it's just it's flat wrong. And yet the music world has been infected by it for about 20 years, I would say. I look forward to its passing if it ever does. Well, then you'll, uh, you'll object to something that I have circled from Carnegie Hall. November 17th to 21st, the Berlin Mo Philharmonic is going to be playing concerts on five consecutive nights, all nine Beethoven symphonies. That's a little different, in my opinion. How? It's a little bit different. Well, I don't think anyone's pretending that those symphonies are a set. It's just a Beethoven binge. Okay. And so I know I don't correct, correct him, uh, contradicting myself a little here, but to do the nine symphonies, I don't think that's a bow to completeness. I think that's a bow to, holy smokes, isn't Beethoven great? So you won't begrudge somebody a binge now and then? It's not Absolutely about that. not. You can binge at home with your records all you want. <laughs> um, but, but in a recital, I think a recital is a little different from orchestra concerts, from a Beethoven cycle. You want to play a Beethoven mm -hmm. cycle? Go ahead. Right. But I'm talking, there, there, there's a strange reluctance, or as we'd say today incorrectly, reticence, as everyone says. There's a strange reluctance, reluctance to play, a scare, play an effing scherzo. Right. Just do it. No, they won't. Oh, no, I've got to play the other three. No, you don't, you moron. No one ever has in the past, till just recently. So, so for instance, the... Uh I, I can't say that I would necessarily go to it either, but you probably wouldn't go to a, 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 rec a recital of all 24 Paganini Caprices. Here I go again. It's a matter of... I, I, I believe that is kind of an interesting stunt. It's sort of interesting in a grotesque kind of way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you regard the 24 as standalone pieces? And there's no question that the four Chopin scherzos, for example, the four Chopin ballades are standalone pieces. No question whatsoever. But do you think that the Caprices are, in a sense, a set? I'm not sure they are. In fact, part of this is that I... Uh, it's my own frustration with Paganini that there, there are maybe four or five out of that, uh, out of the 24, that I really think these are really good pieces of music. Mm -hmm. Number twenty four, the falling leaves, the uh, the hunt. Um, these are really good pieces of music, and and I don't mind hearing them. 
this this some somewhere uh, last season, I heard a, a very talented violinist uh, play Mozart's Fifth Violin Concerto, and then as an encore, he reeled off Paganini Caprice Number no. Five. That it's the the awful one that goes da 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 da, and it's it's just really a pure pure exercise. technical exercise. Mm-hmm. There's very little musical value to be found in, in it. You really have to dig. And the only reason, in my mind, to play that piece is, one, if you insist on playing all 24 in one concert, or two, if you feel like Mozart's Fifth Violin Concerto didn't really let you show off enough and you need to show it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, there's a reason we call it performance. That's true. It's different from church. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a Joshua Bell recital. We do. He always gives good value, in my experience. <laughs> he gives a mixed program, uh, meaning mixed repertoire. He never lays an egg. Never. He's occasionally great, often good. I just, uh, this is a phrase I learned from Paul Johnson. Um, he, he gives good value. Uh, he almost always satisfies me, at least. I, I sometimes wish he weren't such a, a, a pretty boy star celebrity because I think for that reason people underestimate his worth as a player and musician. Well, maybe it's just my sour grapes as a violinist, but I've always found there's sort of kind of a lacquered veneer over his mm-hmm. over his playing it's it's too slick mm-hmm. um yeah, i i remember a concert it was to be fair one of the worst concerts i've ever heard all around it was in 2006 it was that uh it was during that levine interregnum i guess it was 2007 it was in boston it was during the the awful levine interregnum where where you couldn't ask a BSO violinist on Monday who would be conducting them on Thursday. Mm-hmm. The orchestra sounded miserable. And at Josh Bell's Tchaikovsky, it was just, you know, I, I got the sense from him that he really was convinced that he was Fritz Kreisler. He was sort of doing that old Viennese thing, greasing up the strings with chicken fat beforehand and mm-hmm. sliding all over the fingerboard. And I thought, this is just... Show a little taste. Yeah. Figure out where you want to do that and where you don't. He can do that. I would say in his defense, I wasn't there, of course. He, how many hundreds of times has he played that concerto? Sure. And I'm sure some performances have been, have been schlocky and some have been sublime. Kind of like sports, <laughs> you know? You go, you show up, and, you know, Magic Johnson has a terrible, he keeps you know, giving the ball away and missing shots. And, you know, maybe two nights from then, he's an immortal. Hmm. It's part of the, I think it's part of the excitement of of concert. I often say that life is not a studio recording. True. And um, concert life is variable for better or worse. Well, I'd like to bring in here a, a violinist whom I really, really admire, um, Lisa Batyashvili, mm-hmm. who, with the New York Philharmonic, uh, on October twenty first, and for a few performances thereafter will be performing with the cellist Gautier Capuçon the Brahms double concerto which I absolutely adore. I know there are, there are people who uh, who 
turn their noses up at, uh, at it a little bit. So well, it's, they're wrong. It's too dramatic. I agree with you. There are people who turn up their noses at Beethoven's triple concerto. Mm. I'm so glad he wrote it. <laughs> I, I, this is this is one I, I really admire. I don't know Capuçon's playing as well, but Batyashvili is is one of those violinists who is totally unafraid of the instrument. She will she will dig in uh, as much as she needs to to really get the power that she wants. And if there's a scratch here and there, you know, who cares? Um, she really brings a fierceness to her playing that I think is absolutely essential in this piece. And I think they're going to knock it out of the park. Yeah, she certainly is something. I have here in Carnegie Hall the St. Lawrence String Quartet. Uh, they're doing a new quartet of John Adams, hmm. which I will appreciate hearing, I think, plus a couple of great ones by Haydn and Beethoven. Piotr Bekshawa, the Polish tenor, is giving a recital with a veteran accompanist. I still say accompanist. I'm one of the last Martin Katz. Uh, that could be quite good. Or not. It depends. I've heard excellent Beckshower recitals and, and less good ones. Kissen is playing a, an unusual recital in, in that about half of it is Spanish. I don't believe I've ever heard this Russian-born virtuoso play Spanish music. So who's going to be Alicia de la Rocha for part of the evening? Uh, later, Jean-Yves Thibaudet, another pianist, is coming. It'll be Schumann and Ravel. I expect the Schumann will be forced especially the piano sonata number one, forced, slapped at, thin, uh, too aggressive, and I expect the Ravel will be um, well-nigh definitive. And we know that he will be wearing bell-bottoms either way. Well, yes, yeah. Isabel Leonard, the mezzo, is giving a recital mm, with the guitarist, Sharon Ibsen. And uh, there's a Richard Daniel Poor premiere, a uh, new piece by that American composer, and there's a heck of a lot of Spanish music, uh, which makes sense because the guitar is a Spanish instrument, no matter who is playing it. Hmm. And uh, Isabel Leonard, despite her name, well, you can almost tell from the spelling of her first name, I believe Spanish Isabel. is one of, her, one of her native languages. I believe her mother is South American. She uh, she's really great in that repertoire. I, I heard uh, a couple of summers ago they did the Met um, recital in Central Park, and she, in addition to some of the uh, some of the opera standard opera, opera mezzo arias, she sang a couple of uh, of Spanish dances, hmm. and they were wonderful. Yeah, really wonderful. He's natural in that rep. Yefim Bronfman, the pianist, playing an all Prokofiev program. A string of sonatas, more completeness. There's, an, I, I noticed actually. It seems like this fall, the, uh, the, those early twentieth century Soviets aren't really getting a lot of love. Are not? Yeah, I, d I uh. don't, didn't see much Shostakovich on anybody's program, and uh. the only Prokofiev I saw besides this, uh, besides that recital was, um, I think, I think Alexander Nevsky. Yeah, I saw that performed. too. Yeah, I think that's Andreas Nelson's in the Boston Symphony. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he he should be quite good in that rep, mm -hmm. uh, Nelson's. I mean, he he studied in Saint Petersburg, right? As did his teacher Maurice Janssens. Uh, both of them are Latvian, Nelson's and, and Janssens. Do Shostakovich's film scores get a lot of play? I mean, I think you hear snippets of it here and there. No, they don't. No, they don't. I recall one. The ballets get more play. Yes, mm -hmm. I recall one that he uh, that he did. 
there was a film of King Lear, hmm. I think from the 50s. It was very strange, very Russian, and in in theatrically, in that sort of heavy, heavy, fiercely symbolic kind of way. And at one point, Edmund, after finishing his first soliloquy, glares up at the heavens and then picks up a rock and throws it at the sun. Huh. And Shostakovich wrote this meaty, smoldering score for well, it. It's a brilliant piece. Shostakovich was a musical omnivore. He loved, he, his famous quip is, I love all of music from Bach to Offenbach. He'd have to update that now. <laughs> but he he tried his hand at, I think, every kind of music you can think of. Instrumental, chamber, opera, incidental, and and so on. I've got the pianist Leifova Ansnes, mm. the Norwegian, in a recital in Carnegie Hall, uh, playing, again, mixed program, lots of Sibelius, not known as a piano composer, Beethoven Sonata, some Debussy, some Chopin. Just concluding with Carnegie Hall here, I've got two more. Uh, Diana Damrau, the German soprano, gives a recital. This one's on my list as well, yeah. And I think, is it in the big hall in Carnegie Hall? It, it, I think it is. I think it's a it shame, is. but I'm sure she can sell it. Well, that's, that's the thing. They're she's not going to somebody like her in, uh, in Zankel. I, uh, think it's I remember hearing her in Wild, the little hall. Really? She gave a wonderful recital, but she was less famous then. So this is a business decision, and I applaud that entirely. I, I approve of business and, and making money. But um, Nobody will call you anti-business, Jay, I'm sure. She's... Um, but, you know, she's a high, light lyric soprano. Hmm. But anyway, it, it, it'll be great. I really don't care where it is. I don't care if it's in a barn. I don't care if it's in the Rose Bowl. I'll go to hear Diana Damrau. She's singing Gretchen am Spinrada, and I would swim rivers to hear her do that. Yes, indeed. Last thing I have from the Carnegie, Carnegie Hall season before the new year is the Met Chamber Ensemble, directed by Levine. Uh, one afternoon or evening, they're doing uh, Messiaen's... A quartet for the end of time. Mm. That could be special, depending. Absolutely. Um, so to take a look at a couple of other uh, venues, sort of less on the on the beaten track, the 92nd Street Y, which has a wonderful uh, recital series. One of the things that is on my radar there is a Beethoven series, or I think they're calling it a Beyond Beethoven series. Jennifer Coe who's, this is interesting to me because I don't think of her as somebody who's, who really does, maybe it's just what I've heard her in, but somebody who, who really is in the classical romantic rep. You know, this is, she doesn't have the sort of Heifetz career that we think of where she's touring, playing all the, uh, the great romantic concerti. Um, she, one of her big projects lately has been Bach and contemporary music and pairing music by Bach with music inspired by Bach. So she did a wonderful CD where she, she paired Bach with Isai and a couple of new commissions. Um, so I, she she does a lot of contemporary music, and, and she really has, has sort of carved out a Baroque niche for herself as well. So I'm interested to hear what she does with the big Beethoven sonatas. Um, I have down here that she's going to be performing the Kreutzer Sonata uh, with a pianist, Shai Wozner, whom I don't know very well. Very good. But yeah. I, I think that could be a great series. Yeah. Yeah, I quite agree. What does it mean beyond Beethoven? Beyond Beethoven? Is there Beethoven or not? Well, there's Beethoven. There's also uh, again this 
So it should be Beethoven and beyond. Beethoven? Oh. Yeah. Infinity and beyond. Yeah. There, there, are, there will be a, uh, I, I, I think, a new commission on each program as well. On the subject of Beethoven, uh, Jaap van Sweden, the Dutch conductor, is conducting the New York Philharmonic and Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Hmm. And I expect that will be taut, disciplined, bristling, and exciting. I hugely hope I can make it. I hugely look forward to hearing uh, von Sweden conduct the Beethoven Fifth Symphony. Do you think he's on the short list? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think he ought to be. Uh, and I have no inside knowledge. No. It's just there's nothing politically correct about him. I mean, he's just an excellent conductor. Right. And that's not enough. Uh, they're non-musical considerations, I think. Hmm. Uh, and the other New York Philharmonic performance I have on my list is uh, Nemi Yervi, the veteran Estonian conducting a Rachmaninoff symphony. He's probably conducted this symphony for 50 years. And uh, I think he has a lot to offer. Do you have anything else for the Phil? Um, well, I, I, I noted briefly, just because this is another piece that I just love to go hear whenever it's played, um, Daniel, Daniel Trifonov will be uh, performing the Rachmaninoff Second Piano Concerto. Mm -hmm. Impossibly, impossibly lovely. Um, and I'm sure he'll play it very well. He actually has this new CD out with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Um, yeah, I it's his, I think he called it, or he should have called the CD anyway, Rachmaniana. Um, mm. I, I, but I, that is, that's the title of one of the, uh, of a piece in his own hand that he's playing on the CD. Hmm. They're also doing the, the Rachmaninoff, uh, Paganini variations, um, and a couple of other items. Mm -hmm. Let's go to great performers. Sure. These are performances in, um, I guess we have to call it David Geffen Hall now. I guess we Instead do. Instead of Avery Fisher Hall. Although nobody, nobody calls David Coke, uh, theater. Except David me. Coke Theater. I, I always call it the me. Coke. I always call it the Coke. So do we have to call it David Geffen? Sure. As opposed to what? Well, it was originally. That's fair. It was originally Philharmonic. Philharmonic. Then Avery Fisher gave money, and and now um, Geffen has. I'll tell you the difference between Coke and Geffen. Mm -hmm. David Coke gave a hundred million to uh, refurbish the New York State Theater. He said, "Put my name on it." But after 50 years, all bets are off. Just remove it, and exactly. there should be a new naming opportunity. David Geffen said his name must give the same gift, $100 million. His name must be on the, co on the concert hall in perpetuity. And not only that, and this bothers me too, I, I, uh, and I, I wrote about it recently, that the, the Lincoln Center had just paid the Fisher family some sum, around $15 million, million to yeah. take Avery Fisher's name off the building. They said, this time... We're not going to sell the naming rights in perpetuity. It's gotten us into trouble before. And that was a very sensible thing to do. And Mr. Geffen came along and said, no, no. Anyway. I want, yeah. Go ahead. Finish really that. Onto the good finish stuff. that. Well, he said, no, I want my name on it in perpetuity. Yeah. You're not going to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the LSO, the London Symphony Orchestra, is coming under Gergiev with Bronfman for Bartok and Stravinsky. And so Bronfman will play the uh, Bartok Piano Concerto as number two and three, I believe. And uh, one night, Gergiev will conduct the Miraculous Mandarin and then the Firebird. And then the next one is all Bartok. That'll include the Concerto for Orchestra. And could be great. Hmm. I, you know, I, um, Gergiev can be uh, an immortal, an unforgettable, 
or he can be blah, so-so, pedestrian. You never know. But but I, I bet this will be pretty good. Hmm. I'm not sure I've heard him be... Well, I the my, the one time I would say is he's ever come close to pedestrian for me, it was on the, the first half of that double bill last year at the Met when they did uh, Tchaikovsky's Yolanta. But then on the second half, he did the, the Bartok Bluebeard's Castle. Castle, and it was hmm. extraordinary. Also from great performers... Uh, I, I noted here a Ray Chen recital. Hmm. I've heard a couple of recordings, but I've never heard him in the flesh. And he's playing a very violinist, violinistic program. Um, he is, yeah. Is it all unaccompanied? I it looked per- over it, it earlier. It, it perhaps is. It looks like it is. Ray, um, it's funny, I actually know Ray. He, uh, he and I were, were classmates at the Encore School for Strings many years ago, um, studying with David Cerrone. Where is that, and what city is that? Uh, that's in Hudson, Ohio. It, it was the program run by the Cleveland Institute of Music. Mm-hmm. And I had the great good fortune of uh, going into my lesson with David Cerrone every week, right after Ray Chen had his lesson. Mm. And <laughs> Ray Chen went on to win the Queen Elizabeth competition. So in Bel in Belgium, yes. Huh. Um, my one of my former teachers actually had a similar experience of uh, going in to take his audi- his uh, Juilliard examinations right after Isaac Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for one's character. Yeah. This I really look forward to. I hope ho- so. Hope I'm free to do this. It's a concert or a recital, soprano and organ. It's the soprano Christine Brewer and the organist Paul Jacobs and Alice Tully Hall, November 5th, 5 p.m., with a variety of music uh, for voice and organ and organ alone. And I think a lot of those two musicians, and I think a lot of the of the pieces they're, they're doing. So th- this very much is a high... It's... it's it's a highlight on its own merit, so to speak, but also it's a highlight because it's unusual. Mm. The last time I was at a voice and organ recital was pretty much never. <laughs> and the repertoire is just wonderful. Is there an organ in Alice Tully? There'd better be. That's what it says <laughs> there here. There will be that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's actually a, one of the... I, I sometimes have the problem where when I when I go to hear a piece with organ at Carnegie Hall, I think, yeah, it's okay, but... You know, I really wish it were a, a a full organ across the back in a church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or or in a you know a, a, a lot of it's uh, a bit of a ripoff. A lot of concert halls have organs built in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and to you know see them wheel the thing on. Is oh, little... it's so cheap. Oh, I, I quite agree. It's like a room air conditioner <laughs> instead of central air. Yeah, a space heater. Yeah, a space heater. Exactly. Exactly right. Also, great performers is having a series. Several evenings of Thomas Otis, the uh, British composer, who is a very talented fellow. Mm-hmm. His, I thought his uh, "The Tempest" at the Met a few years ago was a wonderful piece, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the one of the best new operas I've heard. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that piece, but maybe I should get to know it better. Hmm. I thought there was some wonderful lyrical. Ma- the the first act 
took some time, but I thought the, the second and third acts really had some wonderful, wonderful lyrical stuff. I, I, my view is whatever he composes, I want to hear. Now, you might think that's faint praise, but for me it is <laughs> not. I can say that of very few uh, living composers. What Otis writes, whether I wind up liking it or not, I want to hear. That's really high praise. It doesn't sound like it, but it is. No, I think it, it sounds mm. like high praise to me. Mm. I think that's just about it. Oh, well, I did. I, there was one. one you got a wild card thing. for me? One wild card from. Good. Uh, from. Uh, not a total wild card. It's at Lincoln Center, but it's the Chamber Music Society. Um, and the program itself is a bit of a wild card, and I'm going to betray my bias here again. Um, the Golden Age of the Violin. That's the one I picked. Oh, is it? Yes. So, That's my CMS concert. Your CMS wildcard? Yeah. It's... What an odd program. It's such an odd program. I can't wait to hear it. Well, this is... If this, I can. So, I'll, I'll run down it quickly. We've got a Leclerc Sonata in E minor for two violins. Dvorak Terzetto in C major for two violins and viola. Board in Quartet, uh, number two in D major. Isai Sonata number four which is for solo violin, and a Chrysler Quartet in A minor. One Blow things, me down. One of the things Blow I love down. about... A Chrysler Quartet? Right. I, you know, I only... You know, I know Minitravini's March and Syncopation is uh, yeah. his fun... Uh, his lollipops. His, yeah, his scherzi for, for violin and piano. Mm. One of the things I love about the Chamber Music Society is that because they have this basically roster of, of musicians throughout the season, they don't, they don't usually bring in a name quartet or a name trio to play for them. They've got their stable of musicians who are with them for the season, so they can do things like this, where you can have God knows how many different configurations on the same uh, same program. You can go and, and you can hear a clarinet trio and then a string quintet. Some concerts you go... There are concerts you go to, or opera performances you go to, for the players or singers, for the music-making... And some things you go to for the music, for the repertoire. And I have a feeling that this concert will be at least adequately played. But I don't especially care, because I look forward to hearing the music. Absolutely. Not something else. I think I have one more. All right. Um, Shoot. And it comes from the 92nd Street Y. I just want to note that Angela Hewitt, the pianist, is playing Bach's Art of the Fugue. And... Um, so cover your ears, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, of course, worship Bach to an idolatrous degree. I've never liked listening to The Art of the Fugue. Uh, I've never quite disliked it, but never liked it. Uh, but Hewitt has devoted her career to Bach. And this is, of course, a great and important work, which I've appreciated from an intellectual point of view, but not necessarily from an emotional or musical or soulful point of view. Sure. But um, I think this will be well worth hearing. Great. Well, I'll put it on my list then. Hmm. Well, I think that about does it. I've run through my list. Any, uh, any parting yeah, thoughts? Let's end on something exciting. Something exciting. Give me something exciting. It, the pressure is on. It's greatly on. All right. Well, we've got... Uh, you know what's Something I didn't put on my list, actually, but it's there. It's right. December 31st. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. The Met is... And and believe me, I I try to go into a cave between uh, between December 30, 23rd and 31st. I, I, I can't... 
I can only hear Handel's Messiah so many times, yeah. and the rest of the season's offerings get a little cloying, I think is generous. But the Met is is doing a new production of The Pearl Fishers. Yes. Diana Damrau starring, uh, and I think that could be a lot of fun. The last couple of years they've done operettas that have both hit and missed, I would say. I agree. Um, but I'm I'm interested to see them uh, see them take on something a little more serious. Now it's not going to be as it's not more serious. Well, it's not it's not. I th- you don't think it's more serious the than th- but then ah. uh, than than uh, Flater Mouse. It depends on what we mean by serious. Okay, yeah, it's less fun. Yeah, um, it won't be as dark as uh, I mean, Flater Mouse is a, a masterpiece, really. Yeah. Um, people know from the Pearl Fishers um, the gala duet. The tenor baritone duet, Au fond du temple mm-hmm. saint. And it's interesting to see how this music is woven through the opera. And you keep waiting for it to recur. I mean, it, it really is a wonderful thing. And you know, the rest of the opera is simply there. But Bizet, you know, he died so young. And I would really like to know what he would have composed after Carmen. If he had had about ten more shots at it, yeah. who knows where Bizet would be. But anyway, even if there's nothing but the duet and its uh, analogs, if you will, in, the, in this opera, and what a great, great thing. That music will live forever. It's unkillable and eternally lovable. Great. Well, I think that's a wrap. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for, for sitting down with me. Pleasure talking to Eric Simpson. It's well, just absolutely, <laughs> the honor is mine. Absolutely cool. We'll check back in later later in the season, maybe uh, maybe give a spring preview. Uh, until then, you can follow the New Criterion online, on Twitter, new, at New Criterion. On Twitter? On Twitter. I know. What would Hilton Kramer say? I, well, what would Sam what? Littman say? <laughs> They'd approve. I'm sure they would. We've got we've to get the, the message out there. Yeah. Um, so check back in, follow us online in print, look for Jay's upcoming Salzburg Chronicle in the October issue. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.